This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. Hi, my name is Dr. Lou Diaz, pastor of Butte Bible Fellowship located at 2255 Pillsbury Road in Chico. And I'm providing inspirational teaching for you from God's Word each week. Listen to my weekly radio program, Encouraging Words with Dr. Lou Diaz, at 10 a.m. on Saturday or 10 a.m. on Sunday. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. This series is entitled Man on the Run, because chapter 1 talks about Jonah running from God. He was told to go to Nineveh, and instead he went the opposite direction toward Tashish. Tashish. Also, uh, excuse me, uh, chapter 2 is running to God when he's in the belly of the fish at the bottom of the ocean. He repents and turns back to God, so he ran to God. And then chapter 3 is what we're looking at today. He's running for God because he's finally preaching to the Ninevites, as he was asked to do the first time. And then chapter 4 is running behind God because God had compassion and forgave the Ninevites And Jonah wasn't quite there yet. He uh, felt they weren't deserving of of, uh, forgiveness and didn't understand the concept of God's compassion and God's grace. So, to summarize what we've covered so far, Jonah 1, running from God, four things in Jonah 1. Obedience is doing what God wants. Disobedience is finding a way to rebel, as did Jonah. Pain, which is the storm that God sent, is God's megaphone to warn us. And discipline is God's loving provision. Chapter 2, running to God, when he's in the belly of the fish at the bottom of the ocean, he ran to God, and we run to God in four ways. We pray to God, we focus upon God, we rely upon God, and we surrender to God. That's where we've been so far. Now, running for God, Jonah chapter 3. Three simple points from this chapter of 10 verses, and they are these. We are to obey the word of the Lord. We're to tell people the word of the Lord. And then we're to leave the results up to God. Some of you know about Campus Crusade for Christ, which is now called Crew. And they have a definition for witnessing. Witnessing is taking the initiative to share the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit, leaving the results up to God. That's a great definition of witnessing. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We should speak the message of the good news of forgiveness of sins through faith in Jesus Christ. So first, let's look at this. Obey the word of the Lord. It says in Jonah 3, 1 to 3, A, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord, and went to Nineveh. You remember, at first, he disobeyed and went the opposite direction. Why? 
because the Ninevites were a violent people. They tortured their um, people that they defeated, and they were known for their sadism and uh, for their ill treatment of others. And he, they were number one enemies of Israel. So why would a prophet of Israel go to the enemy people and preach repentance? He wants them to be judged. He wants them to get their just desserts. But this time, after being humbled and listening to the Lord, the second time he obeyed the word of the Lord. Now Jesus told a story. He said there were two men. And I want you to answer this question. Who or which one of them did the will of God? One man was asked to do something, and he said, yes, I'll do it. But he didn't do it. The second man said, no, I'm not going to do it. But he ended up doing it. Which man did the will of God? The second man. And that really describes Jonah. He was, at first, belligerent, rebellious, and he said no. But eventually, he yielded, and as the Ridge 4 plus 1 sang, he said, yes, Lord, yes. We're so thankful that he obeyed the Lord, and this is important for us to do. When we hear the Lord, we are to obey. The first message I ever preached, I was just a young teenager in high school. It was Youth Sunday. We took over the whole church service, and I preached about Naaman the leper from 2 Kings chapter 5. And at the end, I exhorted the people to be doers of the word, not hearers only. And to remember that, I talked about having a heardo. A hairdo. Now, of course, it's hard for you to imagine that with uh, my bald head, but a hairdo is when you hear and you do. You hear God's word and you do it. And so uh, we need to be doers of God's word, obey the word of the Lord. And we need to tell people the word of the Lord. It says in Jonah 3, 3b and 4, now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Can you imagine Jonah having spent three days in a belly's fish, being partly digested, having whiter than white skin walking through this land and like a ghost proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's an incredible message. And it was a message ordained by God for him to preach. You and I have an important message that we are to share. And that message uh, is the gospel. Have you heard of the Romans Road? The Romans Road is something worth writing down and memorizing or laying out for your friends and relatives. 
your neighbors and associates. It starts out with Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. None of us match the holiness of God. We've all broken one or more of the Ten Commandments. We're all guilty before God. None of us is perfect. Romans 6.23a says the wages of sin is death. What we get paid for in terms of our sin is eternal death. That is separation for eternity from God in hell. But the good news is the second part of Romans 6.23. It says the gift of God through Jesus Christ is eternal life. So we can have eternal life. We can be forgiven of our sin and receive eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. And Romans 5.8 tells us that while we were yet sinners and we were enemies of God and ungodly, Christ died for us. That's the grace of God. Did you and I do anything to deserve it? No, we didn't. Just as the Ridge 4 plus 1 sang, Who am I? Who am I to deserve the Son of God dying on the cross in my place? None of us deserve that. But God, out of His grace, chose to provide forgiveness for us if we'll only look to the Son, if we'll only look to Jesus and trust Him for our salvation. And then, what do we do when we hear this gospel? We're to confess Jesus as Lord. Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus rose from the dead, you shall be saved. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Romans 5.1 tells the result. If you'll confess Christ and trust in Him and receive Him as your Lord and Savior, you will have peace with God through faith in Christ. Romans 5.1. This is the Romans road. And it's just one example of how you and I have been commissioned by Jesus to share the gospel. It's called the Great Commission. It's in all four gospels and the book of Acts. Go and make disciples of all nations, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have taught you, and lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. We are ambassadors for Christ. And we need to take the initiative to share the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit and leave the results up to God. Now, what happens? We hear the word of the Lord. Uh, we then, and obey it, and then we tell the people the word of the Lord and we leave the results up to God. Watch what happens. And I want to focus in on one key word. The key word is sackcloth. Now, why do I want to uh, focus on that word sackcloth? Because it's going to be mentioned three times in these three verses, verse 5, 6, and 7. And watch who wears the sackcloth. What is sackcloth? Sackcloth is like wearing a garment made out of sandpaper. It's like wearing a hair shirt that is a rough burlap kind of thing with Stuff that scratches you. And why do you wear sackcloth? Because it's symbolic that you are repentant. You're sorry for your sins and you want to turn from them. That's why you wear sackcloth. 
when you grieve or when you're turning from your sin, you put on sackcloth. And then to make it worse, you take ashes and you pop that on your head. Sackcloth and ashes is symbolic of repentance, of saying, I am broken. By the way, Jesus said, Blessed are the, are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who recognize that you are spiritually 100% bankrupt before God and you need Jesus to save you. And that's an amazing thing, that the Spirit of God worked in the midst of the violent, evil, wicked Ninevites and granted them repentance. So it says the Ninevites believed God. A fast, that is, they cut out eating food. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, robes, covered himself with sackcloth, sackcloth and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Okay, who's wearing sackcloth so far in Nineveh? Everyone from the greatest to the least, the king, all people, and all animals. Were they serious about repentance? The answer is yes, they were. Now I can go into some incredible historical details of all the things that were going on in Nineveh that got them ready to repent. Did you know that shortly before this white, ghost-like prophet came and preached repentance and that it was 40 days countdown to their destruction, that there was a solar eclipse? And back in that day, a solar eclipse was a bad omen. It meant like the end of the world. Plus, they were vulnerable to attacks, and they had received several attacks. Plus, there was a famine in the land after the solar eclipse. In other words, they felt the pressure that they didn't have much time left. They felt they were doomed. And then to have this stranger come from Israel and talk about his God saying, he's going to wipe you off the face of the earth? All this converged together, and they believed. They believed God. They repented. They stopped eating food, and they wore sackcloth, symbolic of their grief over their sin. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. That word of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount is, blessed are those who mourn over their sin, because they will be comforted with forgiveness and with grace and with peace. We need to mourn over our sin in order to appreciate 
the grace of the gospel. That Jesus Christ died on the cross for us. That His blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. That He rose from the dead that we might have new life in Him until we see the dark backdrop of our sin. We cannot appreciate the glory and the light of God's grace and forgiveness. Praise God for what He's done for us in Jesus Christ. And we need to share this message. I was at a party when I was in high school on New Year's Eve. And that night, I seemed to make a friendship with a gal who we talked all evening about her life. And I shared with her the gospel. And I want you to know, as I was sharing with her the gospel, I could tell the truth of 2 Corinthians 5 that says we are ambassadors for Christ as if God himself is making an appeal through us. I could tell it was the Lord himself saying to this young lady, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Just before midnight, before the new year came in, she trusted in Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. And her mom came to pick her up, and I walked her outside to the car, and she turned around, and she gave me a kiss on the cheek. And uh, she couldn't tell, but I was blushing. I was very embarrassed. But what was happening in that moment? She was thanking the Lord that there was enough love and care and compassion in my heart to share with her the word of life, to share with her the gospel. How do you show love to your relatives and your friends and your neighbors? Tell them the good news, the very great good news, that there's forgiveness of sin through faith in Jesus Christ. I can't tell you how many secular people tell me their messages, tell me their agenda, tell me what their cause is, tell me what they believe in, and they just spout it out as if it's no big deal. But we as Christians tend to be silent. We tend to hold back what we know. If you had the cure for cancer, would you hold that to yourself? Would you hoard it? No, Jesus says a light is meant to be put high, not hid under a bushel. And you, the church, are a city set on a hill. And you are a light. And you are salt that preserves this world that is decaying. We are to make people thirsty for him who is the water of life. We are to point people as lights to him who is the light of the world. And guess what? They're going to say, blessed are your feet that carried you to my house to tell me this. They're going to give you a kiss on the cheek and say, thank you for loving me and caring for me so much that you told me that. Now, what if they reject your message? Well, it's on them. What if they reject your message? You are free of their blood. A watchman is someone who 
is on the wall and he watches for the enemy. And if he sees the enemy coming and he warns the whole town and they run to safety, then guess what? There's no blood or responsibility on the watchman's head for their lives. But let's say the watchman sees the enemy coming and he doesn't warn them. And the whole city's wiped out. Who's responsible for all those deaths? The watchman on the wall who failed to tell the message. I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm trying to tell you clearly that the gospel has been entrusted to the church to share. We have been given faith in order to give our faith away. And the gospel has not been given to the Kwanians. It hasn't been given to the lions. It hasn't been given to the elks. It hasn't been given to any social or civic organization. The gospel of Jesus Christ has been given to the church. We are entrusted with the gospel not to hoard it to ourselves, but to share it with others. I'm calling 2020 the year of evangelism. This is the year I want to see people radically saved by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the year I want to see prodigals running in droves into the Father's arms. This is the year I want to see people supernaturally touched by and healed by God to His glory. And none of that's going to happen if we do not open our mouths, if we do not step up and step out and pray. None of that's going to happen unless there's a revival. Now watch this. This is a secular king of a wicked nation turning to God and his decree says this. Let everyone call urgently on God. Revival's not going to happen until we're desperate and we cry out urgently to God. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Jonah 3.10 tells us the result of Jonah sharing the word of the Lord. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Praise be to God. He's a compassionate God. He's a forgiving God. He is a God of amazing grace. Did you know that the United States of America is under judgment? We deserve judgment. We deserve to be wiped off of the face of this earth. All the abortions that we have, all of the evils that we have. And it's only because the church has prayed and witnessed and shared that there's been a delay in that judgment. But the doomsday clock is almost at midnight. Jesus said, work for night is coming when no man can work. And we in the church 
need revival. Revival is when Christians are so returning to the Lord that they live the Christian life as it was meant to live, be lived in the power of the Holy Spirit. And when Christians really live as Christ-like followers, then the non-Christians see what Christians are supposed to be like, see what the church is supposed to be like, and there's a great awakening. All these non-Christians come to know the Lord because they now see what Christians, Christ followers, really look like. We need revival because there's not much of a difference between Christians and non-Christians today. Why should I become a Christian? It means I have to go to church every Sunday and I have to get up early on a Sunday morning. I don't want to become a Christian for that reason. Well, Christianity is not about that alone. It's about new life. It's about a vibrancy of drinking from the fountain of living water and knowing Him who loves us with an everlasting love and enjoying His peace and having a sense of purpose, being set apart for God's assignments. The Christian life is so much more. We need revival. We need to obey the word of the Lord. We need to tell people the word of the Lord. And we need to leave the results up to God. Now, isn't this interesting? We've just spent all this time in Jonah chapter 3. And Jonah chapter 3 can be summarized in one verse. And that verse is 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people, this is the Lord speaking, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves. Remember the Ninevites? They uh, put on sackcloth. The king sat in dust. They did not eat. They humbled themselves. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray. They prayed urgently to God and they sought his face and they turned from their wicked ways. God is saying, this is a condition, if you will but do these four things, humble yourself, pray and seek my face and turn from your wicked ways, this is what I'll do. These three things I'll do for you. I will hear from heaven, I will forgive your sin, and I will heal your land. We need revival, and revival comes through repentance, acknowledging sin is sin and holiness is holiness. Billy Graham said, I don't care what you call revival, revival is a new obedience unto the Lordship of Christ, a new obedience unto God, is revival. And we need that. I'm asking you to respond to this message, this preaching of Jonah 3, by praying one of these two prayers. This is called Selah. This is a time to reflect and resolve, to think about what you've heard and make a decision. And here's what I'm asking you to do. You can pray that first prayer or that second prayer, or both of them. It says, I humble myself, pray, seek you, and turn away from my sinful ways. Lord, forgive me and wash me clean by the blood of Jesus who died upon the cross in my place. I receive your gift of eternal life made possible because Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus, 
You are my Lord and Savior. If that prayer reflects the desire of your heart, would you pray that? And maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and you need to just lay it out. Lord Jesus, I want to obey you. Tell others about you and trust you to save the lost and revive your church. Wonderful, holy, almighty, loving Heavenly Father, we humbly come before you and we admit that we are sinful people among a sinful nation of people. And we repent. We turn from our wicked ways, our tolerant ways, our apathetic ways, and we urgently call upon you. Oh, Father God, revive us. Oh, Father God, radically save the lost. Bring back the prodigals. Heal your people to your glory. But first of all, restore us to the full measure of what it means to follow Christ. Return to us our first love for Jesus. Oh, Father, revive your church. Bring about a spiritual awakening where this nation will see what Christ's followers look like. Do you need encouragement? I want to share my spiritual gift of encouragement with you. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521 to find out how you can connect with our weekly worship services and faith-building messages from God's Word.